With whatever time that we have left, I would like to tell you, uh, just have a chat with you for a moment on what Christmas is truly about. And to do that, I am first going to read a scripture from the Bible. And it's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is the true origin story of Christmas, where Christmas began. It says this, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will, give, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, you know, with Christmas, there are two big, there are two central figures to Christmas. One figure is Santa Claus. Most of us will be familiar of Santa Claus. Now, if you think about the story of Santa Claus, it is a pretty outrageous story, isn't it? It's about this guy who is overweight, dressed in red, lives in the North Pole, travels around the world on a sleigh pulled by flying reindeer. And if that's not enough, he supposedly knows who is naughty and who is nice, and he can actually travel around the world within 24 hours to deliver presents and how he gains entry to the homes of people is through their chimneys. But have you ever thought, hey, you've got no chimney, how uh? Any of you got a chimney at home? If you have, it's purely aesthetic, I'm sure, because if you got a fireplace, I'm sure it's for your char siu and not because you actually want to keep warm. Malaysia is hot enough. And plus in Malaysia, we grill everything, right? Grill, as in you put a grill. You can't have no window open. You got to put grills all over the place. So how is Santa ever going to get into any of our homes to give us gifts if he actually exists? Now, that story is, of course, to the logical mind, not very believable. But then again, if you look at the true origin story of Christmas, it is supposedly about this young couple, Mary and Joseph. They were a good Jewish couple. They wanted to keep themselves pure before they got married, so they did. And they, all they wanted to do was get on with their life, get married, settle down. But out of the blue, an angel appears to Mary and tells her, you are going to have a child. But relax, this is going to be God's child. Now, just picture yourself in poor Mary's shoes for a moment. If you are a young lady, you'll be like, I'm freaking out, okay? I don't know whether, how do I respond to this? And poor Joseph, poor Joseph, can you imagine going to his fiance, coming to him and telling him, um, dear, don't get this the wrong way, okay? But um, I'm pregnant, um, but I'm still a virgin. Uh, this child is actually God, the Son of God, and He's going to be the Savior of the world. <laughs> Can you imagine the poor Mary and Joseph, the kind of confusion and emotional turmoil that they would be experiencing? And this was how God chose to enter the world. 
via a form of a child, the infinite becoming an infant. Why? Why did this happen? To illustrate this point, um, I'm sure many of us know recently that, that there's this floods going on, okay? So um, if you know, if you've been affected by the flood or if you know friends or family who have been affected by the flood, uh, please reach out to us and we will do our utmost best to help you in whatever way that we can. But we know the story. We've seen the pictures, people trapped on top of their cars, uh, their cars being submerged in water, some trapped in their homes for up to two days because the water levels were just so high and that they could not go anywhere or do anything. And in this kind of moments, you know, no matter how, how big your house is or how fancy your car is or no matter how much money you have, you're trapped in a situation because if you don't have the right tools, if you don't have a boat, if you don't have anything, you can't get out. You are trapped where you are. And it happens to everyone. Now, all of us here, we may not be trapped physically or literally um, because right now, if you, any of you are free to leave this room at any moment of your choice. But I want to suggest to us that we are all trapped by a certain condition. We're all trapped by a certain spiritual condition called sin, S-I-N. Now, before you get all, whoa, whoa, hey, ah, don't call me a sinner. I'm a good guy. You know, I try my best to do good. I'm charitable. I do, I volunteer as stuff and all that. No, you see, sin is not necessarily just doing bad things, even though doing bad things is a result of sin. If you look at this word, S-I-N, what is sin? Sin is I in the middle, me, the kingdom of I. All of us are trapped with this thought or this, this cage that at the end of the day, everything is really about us and me, my preference. I would even dare suggest that most of the world's problems, including you and I, our problems is because of our inability to look beyond ourselves. Our inability to actually consider others first before considering ourselves. I mean, this world, the world is all about that. Take care of yourself, love yourself, look out for yourself first, get ahead. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's a very individualistic thing. And, for, and deep down, many of us have this as well because it's all about me. It's all about I, what I want, what I can do, what I will do. But if we are really honest with ourselves, sometimes we are not enough. Can I bring this to you lovingly today? No matter what the world tells you, no matter how nice it is printed on a postcard or anything like that, you are not enough. Because if I were to ask you in this room, even those online, have any of you never messed up before? You have never made a mistake. Have any of you, you have perfect families, you have perfect careers, you have perfect companies, you yourself are perfect. You have no struggles, no worries, no addictions, no secret thoughts that you don't dare to show anyone. Do any of us can actually say, yes, I am perfect. I would dare say, that none of us can actually say that, including myself. We are all trapped by this, uh, this thing where we just go, man, it's really about me. 
We, that's why we are burnt out. That's why we are anxious. That's why we, get, we, we are offended. That's why we are so, we are striving and we are con, con, constantly hustling and laboring. And there are a lot of times we feel like we are going nowhere because all of us have built our lives around I. You know, to illustrate a point, I'm going to tell you a, a parable or a story that I heard. It's actually not in the story. It's not a story from the Bible, um, but it has a certain element of truth to it. But to do that, I'm going to ask a question now. Anybody, has, you have a spoon? Have you got a spoon? Serious question, actually. Any of you got a spoon that you can lend to me? Anybody? No? Nobody? That's okay, because I came prepared. I've got a spoon myself. Right? So Now, in this story, this parable works this way. In heaven and hell, there are large tables laid out with the finest of foods. And every, peop, every person in heaven and hell, in front of these tables, they're all given a spoon. But the only problem is, is that they cannot bend their elbows. Now imagine that for a moment. You've got a spoon and you're holding it and you can't bend your elbow. Now you will immediately notice the problem. How in the world am I going to feed myself? So the people in hell, they would struggle and they would, they would fight and they would do all kinds of things. I don't know, they would try to throw the food up, they would try to toss it or whatever. But the people in heaven, they will recognize that the only way to have food is to feed one another. Now, this is not a true story. It is not actually an uh, illustration from the Bible or anything like that. So don't stone me or a false prophet or anything like that. But it does highlight a point that at the end of the day, really, our base nature is about ourselves. I don't know whether any of you actually watch this. Uh, again, I know this is not, this is the adult service, right? There are some children here. Okay, close, uh, you close. Parents, please close your children's ears right now. I don't know if any of you actually watched the show Squid Game, which was like really, really popular for a while. Any of you watched that? Any of you watched that? Put your hands up. Yeah? Okay, pastor, these are all the sinners in the room, okay? Not just me, all right? Okay, so you watch that. Now, if you, if you watch that show, you will see that the main character, he tried his best to be selfless. But when push came to shove, at the end of the day, he only took care of himself. So all of us, no matter how rich, how poor or how perfect or how imperfect we recognize we are, we are all trapped, we're all bound by this condition called sin. And that is why Jesus came into the world. So my first point is this. This Christmas, don't focus on what the world is coming to, but remember who came into the world. Why did Jesus come in the form of a man? You see, when Jesus, this, there's this word, this word is called the incarnation. It is not a word that is used often in sermons, in messages. And if you're not a theology buff, you may not actually know what this word means. But this is actually a core belief of the Christian faith. And it's essentially this, that God made himself in the form of flesh, came in the form of man as Jesus. But while he was a man, he was both fully man and fully God. He wasn't just a man without any divinity, nor was he a divine being with no mortality to him. He was one who walked this earth. He, he had sweat, he had blood, he had tears, he was hungry, he got angry, he was even poor because there's some parts in the Bible where Jesus actually said, foxes have holes and Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. So He walked this earth 
and yet he was fully man and fully God, the incarnation. Now, why is this, why did this happen or why is this important? Three things. Number one, the incarnation is to reveal God to us. Reveal God to us. Because before, God will reveal himself through his works. So we read in the Old Testament, there was miracles, there was the parting of the great sea, there was all these different things. God showed himself through his works and God also showed himself through the world. Because if we look at all nature around us, nature is, and, and, and is so complex, it's so intricate, it's so beautiful even, that it really cannot be a product of an accident of molecules bumping in together. You are so complex, you are so beautiful that you couldn't just be a monkey that got lucky, no. But also, God revealed Himself through His Word, His spoken Word, but now, God revealed Himself through a man. So much so that Jesus said, in John 14, verse 9, that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The illustration I can think of is like this. Any of you have actually met a celebrity before or someone famous, someone well-known? So I've met um, you know, f- football players and everything like that. They came and played our country a long, long time ago. Obviously, our country lost badly. I won't, for the sake of the unity of the church, I won't tell you what team is that. But my point is this. When you know, when you think about the government or you think about a footballing team, you think about them from afar. You know that they, you know of them, but you don't really know them. And it's a real surreal experience where you come to some, where you come face to face with someone whom you have heard of, whom you have seen, but now they are in front of you. And why did God choose to reveal himself to us in the form of a man? So that he could relate to us. The incarnation is to show that God wants to relate with us. I don't know whether you guys know about this show called The Undercover Boss. Any of you know this show? Undercover Boss is a pretty, it's still going, but probably lost a bit of popularity nowadays. But this show is basically about a large corporation where the top, where a person from top management, whether the CEO or something equivalent, would disguise themselves as an entry-level employee and get onto the ground. And when he's onto the ground, he would do all the things that the usual employees do. And it's an interesting show because you can see the CEO or the top management person fumbling about and all the other stuff judging this guy. Like, who is this person? You know, so clumsy and everything like that. And then when they finally reveal, wow, this is actually the big boss of the company, all of them are shocked. They go, whoa, that kind of thing. And now that's not a very, that's not a best illustration, but this is also why Jesus came onto this earth. Because he wasn't just content being a God who is far away. He wanted to be a God who is nearby. He, want, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just know our pain. He feels our pain. Whatever that we feel, whatever that we felt, He feels it even more times a hundred. He has been through what we have been through and probably worse. That's why Hebrews 4 tells us this. Therefore, since we have a high, great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And why does God want to relate to us? Because He wants to redeem us, to rescue us. If I were to ask you this question, do you know where you are going in, at the end of your life? Recently, I, I had the, um, I don't know whether I want to call it a privilege. It is a privilege and an honour, but definitely a very tragic thing. I did a, uh, I conducted a funeral not too long ago. And when you're at a funeral, you often, you don't think about death, especially if you are still youngish. Right? I'm still youngish, okay? Don't feel it, but still consider youngish. And you don't really think about death. You don't really think about where you are going. But when you are confronted with it, when a relative passes away or when you attend a funeral, it does make you wonder what happens after we pass on from this life. Do you, are you secure in that? Do you recognize where you are going? Do you know or do, are you confident that there is an afterlife? And are you able to confidently say, then my future is secure. Because in the afterlife, if it is really, think about it for a moment, if it's really about doing good or doing bad, how much good is good enough and how much bad is too much? You know, I watched this show um, called The Good Place. Any of you seen The Good Place? It's a sitcom on Netflix. Any of you watched that show before? If you haven't watched this show, it's really, really simple. It's about this show about this place called the good place, which is heaven, and this place called the bad place, which is supposedly hell. So the characters of this show, they were all, the main character of the show was accidentally placed in the good place when she was actually meant for the bad place. So she tries to keep up the act of being good and everything like that. But later on in the show, she actually finds out that there has not been many, anybody getting into the good place why? Because of te certain technicalities. Like for example, if a person were to buy coffee from this shop, but the coffee was, the, co the, the roasters got these beans from um, unethical uh, farmers and all that, they were actually inadvertently supporting child labour. So because of that, they were a bad person. Or if one person stopped to help this person instead of that person, because of that, many other people suffered, so they couldn't get into heaven. So that show. Well, that, that, my point is that at the end of the day, really, is it about how much good we do or how much bad we do? Is it really about that that will ensure our eternal security? Now, if you're thinking, hey, afterlife and everything, too far away, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about now. Great. Do you know why you are living? Do you know what is the point of your life? Is the point of our lives just to get that degree from a university, what next? Then we find a nice man or woman and settle down. Then we get a job. Then we, get, we have kids. Then we send them off to school. We get a promotion. What, after all of that, what is the point of our lives? Ladies and gentlemen, my friends, can I tell you that Jesus is two things. He is both an anchor and a compass. He's an anchor a certainty, a firm foundation that we can lean on in times of trouble. When we believe in Jesus, it doesn't mean that our life becomes easy, but it does mean that our life becomes all the more purposeful. 
Because with God, there is a purpose in every pain, there is meaning in mundane, and there is significance in your struggle. God knows, God cares, and God is also a compass. Because God may, you may not know what, who holds what, you may not know what tomorrow holds, but you know who holds tomorrow. And that is Jesus, that is God. He's able to guide us and lead us. So with Jesus, it's not just pie in the sky when you die, it's steak on the plate while you wait. It's eternal life beginning from now. This is who Jesus is. He wants to redeem and rescue us. If you are going through every day not knowing what you are living for or just bouncing from one thing to another, have you ever thought about this? Just because you are breathing, it doesn't mean that you are alive. You know what I mean? All of us in this room are breathing. I hope, I hope, I hope we all are. If somebody has their eyes closed, kind of like slap them a bit, just make sure that they're still alive. All of us have breath. But not all of us are truly alive. We can only come alive when we come into a loving and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God didn't send Jesus to turn bad people to good, but to turn dead people alive. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Jesus is about. You see, Galatians 4, verse 4 to 5 says this, but when the time, set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, when we look at this scripture, we can go, okay, that's nice. That's, that's a nice verse. But the significance of this is this, that this was written in the times of the Roman Empire. Now, in the Roman Empire, and in Roman law, what happens is that with, when there's rich families, families with lots of wealth and lots of influence and legacy, if the family did not have a male heir, don't ask me why male, not female, don't cancel me, okay, this is history, okay, I'm just repeating history, this is not what, this is not what I established. But if a Roman family did not have a male heir, they could not legally pass on any of their wealth or influence or legacy to they couldn't pass it to anybody. So what they would do is they would adopt slaves under their employment and legally make them a part of the family. And when they become a part of the family, they now had legal access and right to everything that the family owned. Now, spiritually speaking, this is what the Bible tells us, that God is redeeming us not just so that we can have a nice time or just so that we can join a religion, so that now we can have full access to all of God's promises, the song that we sang. We can have relief for every sorrow and hope for every tomorrow. That's what God wants to give us and that's why Christmas was established to redeem us. Now, here's another thought for you. The family that Jesus comes from anticipates the family that he comes for. You know, we, we read Matthew chapter one early on. And if you were to go into your Bible, you will see the verses before that shows the genealogy of Jesus. Now for you and I, what's a genealogy? It's kind of like a family tree, an ancestry line. Now for you and I, for the most of us, we won't really care where our ancestors come from, right? Or maybe we have a little bit of interest. 
Um, there's this actually this thing you can do now. You can actually um, send a sample of your DNA, whether it's via um, your, you know, a strand of hair or a little bit of saliva to a company in the US, and they can actually trace your ancestry. They can tell you how many percent Chinese you are, whether you got Mongolian blood or whether you got Indian blood or whether you got Caucasian blood or anything. They can tell you that. And they can even tell you where most of your ancestors come from, which part of the world and everything. It's pretty interesting. Now, why would, why would the Bible show the genealogy of Jesus? You must understand this, that the Jewish people at that point of time, they were hoping for a king. They were hoping for a king that will come conquering and liberating them. So with all kings, you are only really a king, you are only really royalty if you came from the line of royalty. True? Right? So if anybody claims, suddenly comes up to you and go, I'm the Queen of England, right? You, you will go, show me proof, right? You won't take their word for it. You want to actually see where they came from. So the genealogy of Jesus is actually filled with good for nothings, scandalous people, foreigners, people, not that foreigners are bad, but it's just that it was, a, it was it's the way the Jewish people viewed them. People who were imperfect and they, and Matthew himself being a Jew was showing his people, this is the king that you are going to get. Now, this tells me just one thing, that Jesus didn't come for the perfect. He didn't come for the religious. He didn't come for those who are already whole. He came for the imperfect, people who are broken, people who have issues. So this day, if you have issues, guess what? It's good because Jesus came for you. If you got issues in your marriage, if you are not the best parent, if you got financial troubles, if you find that you can't even keep your relationships together, if you find that you are messing up all the time, take heart because Jesus came for you. He wants to meet you in your mess where you are. This is who our God is. This is who Jesus is. In fact, he told us this in Matthew 9, verse 12 to 13. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people, listen to this, don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want, to sh I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And my last thought is this, and with that, the worship team can join me on stage. The first Christmas started with Jesus coming as the least of us. And this is significant because in Luke 2, verse 7, it says this, when, as she, Mary, gave birth to a firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in clothes and in cloths and place him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I want us to recognize something, that when Jesus came onto this earth, though he was God, he didn't come with a parade and he didn't come in a palace. He came in the form of a baby and he was born in a manger. Now, a manger, what is it? It's like a barn, a farm, a smelly place, a back alley. 
not the most conducive place for a baby to be born or for a pregnant couple to stay for a night. But this is who or how God came onto this earth. He came as the least of us. Now, when we look at Christmas, we go look at all these nice decorations and we got this big screen and everything like that. And nothing wrong with all of these things. And we got all those nice greeting cards. It's really funny because during the break, I was having a conversation with a person and he told me this, that in his chat group, you know, he, uh, one person sent a drawing of a reindeer and he said, Merry Christmas. But then a person, another person in the group, they were actually overseas in Europe and they were standing next to the actual reindeer and they went, Merry Christmas to you too. So they took the actual picture of a reindeer. And that's what happens in the holidays as well, right? We got all these nice pictures with your family. So sometimes we try to one-up one another. Look at my tree. Wow, look at me. I'm in this nice resort. Look at me. We're all really quiet here. You know why? Because it's true. We try to one-up one another, but Jesus came in a form of a baby. Born to refugees. Nowhere to sleep. Nowhere to even stay the night. This is who our God is. That He will come to where you are at. You know, I'm reminded of the story of Matthew chapter 19, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus rather. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. One rejected by society. One that people view poorly. And when Jesus saw him, you know what He said? He said, I must come to your house today and I must have a meal with you. And you know when we want to invite people to our homes? We only usually invite people to our homes because we think our home is worth coming to, right? Maybe we think our home is big enough, comfortable enough. But for some of us, we don't really want to have guests maybe because there's a lot of clutter or we're a bit self-conscious of our living conditions or everything like that. And that's an illustration of our hearts. A lot of times, we think that we are generous, we are good, we are great, we are holy. So we say, God, come. But to those of us, we know, hey, I've got issues. I'm messed up. I'm not, the best of, I'm not the best of people around. I'm not the best. And this is what Jesus says. I want to come to your house today. This is the heart that I want to come to. This is the heart that I want to come for. You don't need to put on a show for me. You don't need to put on great things for me. You just have to be willing to accept me. So don't matter where you have been, don't matter what you have done, don't matter how your life has been, how your year has been, this is who Jesus is. Don't matter what your experience of religion is, don't matter what your experience of church is over the past couple of years, no. This day, I want to tell you and encourage you, this is who Jesus is. He would humble Himself and He will meet you where you are. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8 tells us this, who being in very nature God, do not con- did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross. Jesus came onto this earth not to establish a holiday or a religion or anything like that. No, He came onto this earth to rescue you and I. Going back to the floods, you know, with with the victims of the flood, 
two things could possibly happen. One is rescue teams could be sent out to go and rescue them. And that's great, that's commendable, that's a blessing. But another thing that could happen is that someone could themselves go and rescue them. They get on a boat or they get in a car, in a four-wheel drive or whatever and go to the place of where the victims are at. Now you compare those two. Both also have value. But the one that came shows greater impact or brings greater impact. And you know what? God is both. God not only sent Jesus to save us, but He Himself came as the Son of God in the form of flesh to rescue you and I. So there is no problem too big for God's intervention and no person too small for His attention today. Christmas is about you getting right with God. Not about you putting on a proper Christmas do or the way or decorating a Christmas tree in a certain way. No, Christmas is about you and I getting right with God and have giving other people the opportunity to get right with Him. Because that's what sin is, S-I-N. What's the opposite of sin? The opposite of sin is not good, but the opposite of sin is removing the I and putting Jesus at the center, being in a relationship with Him. So that's what I want to do right now, to give people an opportunity to come into relationship with Him. With nobody looking about and no one moving around, can we all have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment? We're going to end really shortly. And thank you for taking the time to come and taking the time to tune in and giving me the opportunity to speak to you for this couple of minutes. But right now, I'm just going to ask for a little bit more time because we are now entering a sacred moment. And I want to give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Now understand this, when you say yes to Jesus, you are not signing up for a church, even though this is a great church to be a part of. You are not saying yes to me because I have nothing to gain from this. I'm, I'm kind of like a guy who went to a nice restaurant and I had a really good experience and now I'm telling everybody about it. But that doesn't mean that when I go to the restaurant, I'm going to get a special discount or a special place. No, nothing like that is going to happen. So I myself have experienced the goodness of God in my life. And because it's so good, I want to share it with you. That's who I am. So you're not saying yes to me because I need to fulfill a certain requirement or I'm just doing a task. No, I'm genuinely telling you that this is a worthwhile decision, the best decision that you can ever make. Now, you could have been in church for a while. Maybe you've come to different church programs and everything like that, but you have never made the intentional decision to say, no, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. I want to proclaim Him as my Lord and as my Saviour. You have never done it. You've come for programs, maybe you've joined different groups and meetings and all that, but you have never made that decision. And today you would like to. So with no one looking around and no one moving about, I'm going to ask you, if that is you, if you say yes, I want to make a decision to profess Jesus as my Lord and Saviour today, I want you to do me a favour and wherever you are seated, uh, it's going to take a bit of courage, but could you just put your hand up really high wherever you are? and wave it at me. I'll see it and then you can put it down. The reason why I want to do 
I want you to do this so that I can pray with you and so that some people from some leaders can also come and pray with you and just talk to you about what this means. No one's going to force you to do anything or take any money from you or anything like that, but we want to just pray with you and we want to talk to you about what this decision means. So I'm looking across the hall right now. If you have never accepted Jesus into your heart before and you say, yes, I want to make this decision, could you put your hand up really high and wave it at me? I'll see it and then you can put it down. In the balcony as well, you go ahead and do that. And those of you online, if you have friends or family that you've invited to your watch party, could you turn to them and ask them now, would you like to make this decision? Would you like to, to make today the day that you come into a relationship with Jesus? One last time, I'm looking across this hall. I don't want to miss anybody out. You don't have to feel shy. You don't have to feel embarrassed. This is something that many of us have done. Many, you know, many of us have done and this is something that has happened in church many, many times. You will not be the first and you will not be the last. So you don't need to feel embarrassed or um, self-conscious or anything like that. In fact, we are all going to celebrate that you did this or that you are going to do this because the Bible says that when one person, just one person, just one person gives their heart to God, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices. So you are our special guest. You are our VVIP. You don't need to feel shy. You don't need to feel embarrassed. One last time, I'm looking across the hall. Is there anybody? Anybody? Those of you online as well. You do that and you respond. Anybody? One more time. One more time across the hall. I'm just looking one last time. I don't want to miss anybody out. Awesome. Awesome. Can we all stand? Can we all rise in this place? I'm just going to close us in prayer. Now, if you made the decision but you were a bit shy, you just didn't, you didn't want to be pointed out or all that, after the service, do me a favour, come and maybe speak to me or some of the leaders here at the front and we would love to pray with you and just talk with you about that decision, okay? Those in the balcony as well and those online, go to the online um, prayer room, don't tune off just yet. But for the rest of us, Let's give thanks for this weekend and give thanks for this Christmas season. Shall we do that? Let's all pray. Come, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you for the opportunity to celebrate. I thank you for your love that came down to us and established this special occasion that we call Christmas. Lord, I pray that we will carry the Christmas spirit beyond Christmas, a spirit of generosity, a spirit of joy, a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of reconciliation, that we will carry all of this to our homes, to our families, to our workplaces. Remind us, God, what is really the reason for this season. It's not just about the gifts, not about the decoration. No, but it's about you, God, coming as a man onto this earth to show us how much you love us. And because we are loved, we can now in turn love others as well. So Lord, I pray that this love and this grace and your mercy will constantly be with us and be in our hearts too. We give you back all the praise, all the glory. We are thankful, God, thankful to be able to celebrate this season together. We thank you, Lord. We give you back all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. And everyone said. Amen. 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 Amen.